Welcome to the Purple Butterfly Podcast. I am Danielle Turner, licensed clinical social worker, transformational self-care coach, best-selling author, and your host of the Purple Butterfly Podcast. This is a weekly wellness podcast I created to help you learn tricks, tips, and tools for self-care, mental health, and overall wellness in order to achieve a healthy and happy life of clarity and balance. Self-care is not selfish, it's necessary. That's why I'm here to help you get back in the game with lessons learned, tips, education, and knowledge from some of my amazing guests. So sit back with a glass of wine or hot cup of tea and get ready to relax as we take a journey together into the Purple Butterfly. Welcome to the Butterfly Corner. This is your girl, Danielle. In the Butterfly Corner, I gave you tips, tools, self-care ideas, and education on the topic of the week. So this week's guest took writing poetry and grew it into a successful publishing company and has self-published several books of poetry over the years. One of the best self-care tools we can use is writing, journaling, and creating poetry. Poetry allows you to say a lot without writing a lot through symbolisms, rhymes, and hidden meanings. So during my research, I found some benefits on writing poetry, and I wanted to share them with you. So one is poetry allows us to express our emotions. So through poetry, we can process our emotions, we can be creative in how we process them, and we're able to deal with our emotions and then let them go. And as we know, letting go of emotions, especially negative ones, is beneficial to our mental health and our inner peace. Poetry also helps us escape reality. So when we're writing poetry, we can go into a place of relaxation where we're stress-free and inspired. Poetry also helps us build self-awareness. It helps us learn about ourselves and to grow. When we're writing poetry, you're able to express your ideas and your emotions while being intentional, which makes it honest. And then when you reread what you've written, you gain more insight about yourself as well as the subject matter you are writing about. Poetry also helps us improve our cognition. Along with poetry being helpful for our emotional side, it's very powerful and has a very powerful impact on our cognition. Poetry requires using a combination of words, hidden meanings, symbols, and rhymes, and this process makes our brain active and strong. Poetry can also be very therapeutic. It's an outlet to express negative emotions or negative thoughts in a safe way. So writing poetry can result in a sense of accomplishment and pride, which in turn increases our self-confidence. Poetry also expands our view of the world. So writing poetry, you can draw inspiration from world events, which gives us a different perspective on issues that are happening in the world. Having an expanded view of the world can help you grow to become more empathetic and tolerant. So if you haven't been doing poetry or creating poetry, why not give it a try? This may actually be a new self-care skill that you can add to your self-care toolbox. This message is for the ladies. I have an amazing self-care coaching program just for you. 
In my Inner Me self-care coaching program, we are going to talk about self-care, why it's so important, and even what self-care really means. We are going to dive deep on how to make it make sense for your life and how to get started on your self-care journey. And most importantly, we're going to get to the bottom of why you are not making self-care a priority. So whether you are struggling with your self-care or just want to learn why it's so important and how to make it make sense for you in your life, email me at danielleturner at interullc.com. Welcome to the Purple Butterfly Podcast. Today, my guest is a favorite of mine, and I'm so happy that she's here and that I get to see her because I haven't seen you in probably like, well, well over two years, of course, because of the pandemic. So I'm so thankful that you decided to bless me with your presence this evening. I tell everyone who you are and what you do. Hello, everybody. I'm Latorial Faison, and I'm currently a professor at Virginia State University, which is an HBCU down in Virginia on the south side of Richmond. I'm a native of Virginia, and I grew up in Southampton County. Married my high school sweetheart. So we've been married 27 years, going on 27 years. So it's been 27 years that I've been also a, a moving military spouse. I am the mother of three sons. We have a 24 year old, a 22 year old, and a 14 year old. And uh, in addition to being wife, mother, educator, I'm also a poet. I have been writing since I was a kid, but I didn't start writing seriously probably until maybe about 20, 20 something years ago. I think I had my first poem published in a graduate school magazine. After high school, I attended the University of Virginia in Charlottesville. And then I went on to get a master's degree at Virginia Tech. And so one of my favorite poets, Nikki Giovanni, is on the faculty there. And she's still there, actually. Hey. I graduated from Tech in uh, the late 90s, 97. So that's kind of where it all started. I wrote a couple of poems, submitted them to some literary magazines, and I think two or three of them were accepted into two different places. And so that was kind of the push. I had always been writing just different kinds of things. I always enjoyed the writing projects that teachers gave me in school. Like I probably wrote my first poem in, that I read in public either at church or in middle school. I know I remember doing one in middle school and I won my first national writing contest as an eighth grader. It was an essay contest that the question was, what will life be like in the year 2000? Imagine that. <laughs> I was in middle school in the 80s. What was, was your question. answer? What if you remember? I can't even remember what I said, but you know, it had something to do with technology. I remember thinking that technology would be a major advancement and that we will be able to do all these things. I won a year's worth of school supplies from this company called uh, Stuart Hall. So that was my first contest. And so I can't forget that. And I can't forget my teacher. I had a, an English teacher by the name of Carol Logan, who I'm still friends with to this day. And so it was really just the educators and the setting, you know, growing up in the rural South, that in itself I've always been an outspoken individual, always been, you know, kind of that kid that was into everything, honor student, student government president, all of that. It, you know, it was a small town. And so when you live in a small town, you know, in the 70s and 80s, there isn't a lot to do. Church was your life. Athletics was your life. Extracurricular activities at school. And so, you know, if you wanted to, to socialize, 
that's what you did. But those years kind of molded me and shaped me. And I loved uh, writing letters. So anybody who was my boyfriend, like my husband, we have all of our letters to each other. So I think that writing is, you know, even though writers choose genres and styles, I think that creative people, they just love to write. Doesn't really matter what it is. You may perfect one. I've known to be a letter writer. Like I would love to publish a book of letters one day. Uh, One of my favorite books out there that's around letters is Maya Angelou's Letters to My Daughter. And she didn't have a daughter, but you know where that goes. She's writing to, you know, Maya Angelou is everybody's mom everybody's auntie. And (laughs) so, so, but, you know, letter writing, essay writing, I have a couple of creative nonfiction pieces out there because I like to write truth and history. I'm into history, historical poetry. I just defended my dissertation uh, at the end of February. And I actually did my dissertation on a home historical project. Uh, The title of the dissertation is The Missed Education of the Negro, an examination of the Black segregated education experience in Southampton County. That's where our family's from. But uh, there was the one Black high school there in the county. And so I wanted to write about that history and those people and that experience. So even out of that dissertation came a poem. So I cannot (laughs) deny poetry. In fact, I sat here today. I don't even know how I've done it because I've been in this doctoral program for three years. You know, I've been teaching full time. And studying full time, in between times, I've been trying to write poems. And so if you've been following, you've been seeing, at least since we've been moved back here to Virginia, that I've had a couple of poems published uh, a lot of good places. One of my poems, which is one of my favorites, the one I wrote about my grandma who raised me, Mama Was a Negro Spiritual. That poem received the Tom Howard Poetry Prize. And so I just, you know, I just, I write about her. I write about home. I write about life. I write about social justice. And so right now I'm shopping around that collection of books. Mama was a Negro spiritual, but out of this dissertation will probably be two other books uh, because I did a whole history of education in from America all the way down to Southampton County. And I want to do a collection of historical poems on the 16 people that I interviewed for the project. So I now currently I have, I've been publishing books since 19, no, 2001 was when I published my first book and I self-published. I literally created my own company and I learned from people just networking with other writers. And so I published one book, then another book. And then I did a trilogy collection, 28 days of poetry celebrating black history, because I wanted to be able to take those poems into schools and teach not just our kids, but all kids about the achievements of African-Americans, people like Rosa Parks, King, George Washington Carver, Sojourner Truth, uh, Harriet Tubman, just lots of different people. Um, And so there's that book. And then my last book that I published, we're military, so we move around a lot. So I lived in South Korea for two years, from 2012 to 2014. And while we were living in Korea, the Trayvon Martin, uh, you know, Travis, that just unfolded. It happened. And it affected me because when you're raising three black kids or when you're raising black boys, period. Exactly. These things Mm -hmm. keep happening. So while living in Korea, which was a really safe country for us to have our kids, no no guns on the street. I really started thinking about moving back home with three black boys and what, how crazy that was going to be. So I wrote a lot of protest poems while I was there. 
And that culminated in a book titled Mother to Son. So that's my last collection. And all of my books are available at Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And I'm currently working. I just, I had three poems today that I submitted on a break. <laughs> That's kind of like my life, but you can pretty much any question you want to ask, but that's kind of how it all got started and and moving up to now. In addition to that, when my kids were growing up, I spent a lot of time volunteering in schools. So two of the books that are out there are actually books that I edited for schools that they were attending. Like I did like young author projects. So I do, I like to do a lot of different things. And I think that's something I'm going to move toward in the future now that I'm done with school is maybe starting up another literary magazine and maybe getting back to publishing because there's a lot of, I've networked with so many people, so there's still a lot of work to do. So I'm interested in that. Yeah. yeah I love it. I love, I, I did not know that journey mm-hmm. at all or where the poetry started. I just knew, you know, that you were a poet. Yeah. I love it. That's very interesting. As far as like educating, because I know you're big on that too. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like the poetry had a correlation to you wanting to be an educator or do you feel like it's two separate things for you? So let's talk about how I became an educator. <laughs> you know what? They probably were separate. If you had asked me this question 20 years ago, I probably would have said they don't have anything to do with each other. <laughs> but you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. So right, looking right. back, um, I, you know, I just remember when I was a kid, I wanted to be a doctor. You know, you, you grew up in rural and rural uh, America and uh, rural, rural kids tend to be a little bit of underprivileged. Um, so I just knew I wanted to be a doctor and that didn't happen. I went to UVA and I ended up being an English major. Really, when I went to college, I didn't know all the different types of things you could be. Most kids coming out of uh, a lot of situations, I, like I said, I was reared by my grandparents. You know a few things to be, you know, you know, you could be a teacher, you could be a doctor, you could be a lawyer. In my area, we had a hospital, we had businesses, we had correctional facilities, but I really didn't know anything about being like, say, an engineer or, or different types of scientists that you could be, you know, so I find it interesting that I'm now a doctor <laughs> when that was what I set out to be. But if you would ask me if I would be an educational expert all those years ago, I I would not have seen it. If you had asked me if I'd be a poet, I knew I wanted to be an author, but not necessarily a poet. And the reason why I knew that was because I just fell in love with books and seeing my name on books. So much so that I remember in the sixth grade, my language arts teacher had us write a book. And I threw together a little book. It was called The Golden Earmuffs, which is crazy. I still have it and I may do something with it. But uh, I just love the idea of making them and them being my stories. So I knew one day I would write something, but I just had no idea that this would be the path that I would take. And so I just think, you know, God has put a lot of people and places that just fell right into, you know, my lap. And so one of the things that I used to think as a military spouse is that because we moved around so much is that, oh, you didn't get to do this or you didn't get to do that because you're always... You know, I always felt like I missed opportunities, right. but I really didn't. So I'm saying that just in case there's somebody out there who thinks that they missed their boat right. or that right. they, the ship has sailed or that never you know, life been. was going on when you weren't even near it. I can't tell you how I feel like God has redeemed all of that time for me. And just to, you know, my life is probably one big testimony. Um, I have always, always, always sacrificed a lot being a military spouse. 
you know, because you don't really get to put roots down. You don't really get to have, you know, I couldn't really put any roots down at a college or a university because we were moving every two to three. Right. And so I kind of had just given up on it. I was still writing though. And I, I published books all through those years. I published books from 2001. You know, I tell people, do whatever you can, wherever you are, wherever you plan it, make it work for you. Um, don't worry about what everybody else is doing because what is supposed to come for you will come for you. That's so, right. Yes. Whatever is supposed to come for you will come for you. So we get back here to Virginia and I'm not really thinking I'm going to do anything because I'm like, we were 40 something when I moved back here. And so I get a call to ask me if I want to teach at Virginia State, which I had taught their adjunct before going to Korea. So even when I received that call, I thought it would be to teach just part time, which is what I've been doing. I taught full time in Korea at a university there and loved it. So lo and behold, that call led to a full time gig. I've been full time for five years. I finished my doctorate. Uh, they will probably make me assistant professor in the next month or two. And uh, so that that whole life, that whole ship that I thought had sailed, it really hadn't. It's come back to poor. And even in terms of the poetry, things have happened for me with poetry and networking that I never even imagined. But we've been here, you know, five years and um, everything that I thought I probably missed my chance on. It's right here right now. So hopefully someone who's listening doesn't give up the faith and just just keep operating in your gift and your talent. And, you know, just it happens. I love it. I love it. Cause I agree. I think sometimes we are like, Oh, we're too old yeah. or we have too many kids or mm-hmm. we don't have time, but you make time for what you really want. And I, I like the point where you said what's for you is going to be for you and not to worry about what anyone else is doing because yeah. when it's your time to shine, it's going to be yeah. your time. Yeah. You know, and I will I think- say this. I've never had a group of writers that I hung out with. I started writing for real, published that first book in 2001. I'll never forget it because we were living in Charlotte, North Carolina. I've lived in so many places. We will, I published books everywhere we've been. We were living in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I started, it was kind of a weird, depressing time because I had had my second son and I was forced to stay home. And I was the kind of person I was thinking, I did not go to college to get two degrees to be sitting at home. So being home at first was kind of depressing. Because I felt like I needed to be out doing something. You know, I'd always been doing something since I was a kid. And so forced to be home, you know, I'm there with the kids. But I started a poetry website. And the name of that site was Poetically Speaking. And that site grew. And on that site, I would feature other writers and writer of the month. And, you know, and then people start saying, well, when are you going to publish your own work? Because I was submitting here and there. And that is how I got to network with people. Okay. On sites like Tim Book Two, Chicken Bones, Afrocentric types of his historical sites, and uh, by doing that, I met people who were getting published, who were getting major book contracts with like Kensington Books, and I'm like, wow! And I was actually, you know, talking to these people, and it was all like via internet. Some of these people, we I've never met them face to face to this day, but they are the best friends and mentors I've had. In fact, it was a white guy by the name of J.J. Murray. He's a multicultural author. Read his books. I don't know how we found each other. He had married some black chick and he wrote a book called Renee and Jay. And I read it. He was like, will you read this for me? And I'm like, yeah. 
I'm like, this is good. He had had a two book contract. Well, to make a long story short, JJ has gone on to write probably tons of books, but he was a high school teacher out of Richmond, but he was one of the persons who did not mind telling me what to do, or this is what I did. And I'll never forget it was him and another guy um, by the name of Nathan Eshay that lived in California. Nathan and I never met. The two of them helped me publish my first book. They told me what to do. And because I ran into other people, people who you think will help you will not help you. Okay. I ran into people, I ran into (laughs) women who look just like me. Mm -hmm. And they didn't want to tell me anything without charging me for it. And I look back and I look at these people and it's like so much time has passed and they seem to be still in the same spot they were in. But that's why I say, you know, God will send you who you need to get you to whatever that next level is. And I, you know, here came these two men who didn't know me from Adam. (laughs) Um, And we just kind of start talking about poetry. They like my work. I like their work. JJ actually published one of my poems in a book, in his third book titled Something Real. Um, I wrote a poem called Something Real. And so it's just, this is the kind of hanging out that I was doing with writers. It was people who were publishing, self-publishing. They didn't have to be doing poetry. They could be doing fiction or novels. So that's kind of how it got started. And then you just get to know people. You just get to really know people. And you live and you learn and you do. And I was pretty much, when I say self-finance, when you, when you self-publish, you're financing it. But um, I I was an English major, so I was like, I know I can do this, you know. All I did in the beginning was create a company, a publishing company, and I hired a printer. And I even actually did research before I hired a printer. But, you know, today it's so easy, print on demand. And so while we were living in Korea, I was using a printer by the name of Instant Publisher out of Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And um, great site, even if you don't want to use them for printing, their site has an an abundance of information for people who want to publish. But uh, once I lived in Korea and found out, like, you know, you could do all this POD with Amazon and and Barnes and Noble that wasn't considered vanity press. I was like, oh, this is easy. Mm -hmm. So I've been literally publishing that way since 2012, 13, 14. So in Korea, I wrote a little book of love poems. So I got a book of love poems. I wrote two single books. One is called Flesh. One is called I Am Woman. And those two books came out of actually events and, and other things. That's how they, those poems came to be. I had a friend who was working on a small film in Arizona. And he was doing a film called Flesh. And he was like, can you, can you write a poem, you know, sort of in a spiritual way about that? And I did. And it ended up being a long poem. So I put it in a book. Um, I got invited by a military group to be their keynote speaker for Women's History Month one year. Okay. And I was like, oh, I, I need to write a poem about this, this <laughs> women's history. And so I wrote a poem. And at the uh, after the event, you know, a lot of the military people were saying, I want to buy that. You know, do you have that? So I went home, put it in a book. I am woman. Now, Flesh and I am woman are also in my mother to son book. So sometimes people like to give those types of things as gifts. Um, I've had people who were getting married use my book of love poems as gifts to their bridal party. People who are doing something with women, they order I am woman. So, I mean, you you know, when it comes to writing, the sky is the limit. It's a business. I've not totally worked it as a business yet because I sell books. I do. I sell the most of my books when people invite me to speak places or to book sign or to read. Mm -hmm. But I could probably really, really sell books if I 
press, but I'm not, you know, I've been raising kids. So getting, being able to just get out there and sell books every day. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. You can make it happen though. Yeah. It seems like you get your inspiration from just life events and things that just normal everyday things or opportunities that you have going on, which is good because that means your mind is always going. When I was a kid, I I remember writing about things that, you know, kids couldn't really talk about (laughs) because we grew up in that era where you were seen and not heard. But, but, you know, I take everything in, every single thing that's going on around me, which is why I kind of have to watch what I take in because I'm kind of like that empath that feels every single thing. And if you're not careful, you'll be feeling everything and doing nothing. (laughs) So, so, you know, you can just be feeling it all and not produce it. So, uh, but you know, I mean, that's life, but I love to write about women's issues, racial issues, cultural issues, identity issues. I mean, I'm a black woman who grew up in the rural South and that in itself, I mean, is a whole experience, just the things that I've been through, things that I saw my grandparents and my parents go through and then being a military spouse and having three boys and watching, you know, how that all has transpired. So education the way the education piece fits in there, I have always been an advocate for education because one, I saw it as a way out, you know, growing up in the little town of Cortland, anything that you wanted to do that was professional, you needed a degree for it. Right. Um, that's kind of not totally the case with the kids now because a lot has changed, you know, but yeah. for me, education was always that key, you know, being raised by grandparents who did not have high school diplomas, they instilled that in me. You know, you know, and I was a kid who I loved learning. I loved school. So it was easy for me. I probably started public speaking, you know, when I was a teenager, you know, growing up in the church, people would invite <laughs> me and I, I spoke at my high school graduation. And so it just that whole education piece. And so then I followed the path that I planned, you know, with college and it has worked for me. Right. Um, and here I am. I feel like I've actually come full circle. From wanting to be a doctor to now being a doctor. (laughs) I feel like I've come full circle with that. And so I still tell kids, whether you go to a college or not, education is key. You know, educate yourself. Read, not just in in the book sense, but just read to be aware and know what's going on. I'm big on Black history. I believe that if you don't know your history, you'll repeat it. And we're living in a weird time right now. We're just living in a weird time. And education is under attack, literally. So, um, so I've become this person who also, in fact, I'm wearing a red for ed t-shirt right now, red for education. That's one of our slogans here in Virginia, but it's under attack because we have this whole, we, you know, we've got a new governor here who wants to keep divisive concepts out of school. And literally what, what that means is we don't want to teach the truth about our history. And Virginia is a historical place. A lot of racial history happened right here. Uh, We're like the top of the South. Right, right. So that's a really big issue. But, you know, the flip side of that is if you're Black in America, that's what you've always known. You've always known people trying to suppress the truth about you and your Mm -hmm. talent, who you are and your gifts and your merit. So we're used to it. But a lot of our... Our advocates <laughs> down here, it's a really big thing, you know, so I don't really lose my head. You know, I got a lot of white people that I communicate with here 
And they're just like, isn't this an outrage? And I'm like, you know, but we're used to it. Right, right. So what if they don't tell the truth about us in an eighth grade textbook? Mm-hmm. They're going to find out they the have, truth they regardless. Never, they never really told the truth about us in a textbook, you know? So, but um, I mean, I understand that we're going backwards if we move in that direction. So, you know, and for at least a good time, we felt like we were moving forward as a country. But, right. you know, with our last president and all that's going on now and all of this, Ahmaud Aubrey and George Floyd. I mean, it just feels like we're moving backwards. And so it's very, it's very important to advocate. So I do want your listeners to understand, you know, if you have children who are in school, if you have grandchildren, you really need to advocate for education because they're trying to do some things. Now I know in the city where you all live, charter schools are a big thing, right. That's a magnets right. and charters are big right. thing here. Yeah. Here in the South, they're trying to do charter schools, not in that same sense though. They're trying to do charter schools because they don't like what's going on in schools with the teaching of the truth of the black history. They don't like what's going on with LGBTQIA. So charter schools in the South are not about what you all have in the city. Charter schools in the South are really about white evangelicals wanting to separate their children and teach them what they want them taught. And that's what's going on here. Yeah. So for the schools here, they have, they'll have like a school that's just for nursing. So you want to be a nurse, you go to this mm-hmm. high school and you, you know, you, then you go to the nursing college. Right. So they, there's very specific, what's the word I'm looking for? Disciplines that they have. Thank you. Disciplines. You know, right. I see us moving in that direction though. Even in the county that I'm in, I'm in Chesterfield, which is an hour like north of where I grew up. It's a little bit, pro- it's progressive. It's more progressive than Southampton County. But it's not as progressive as up in Northern Virginia, Fairfax okay. County. So, you know, the further north you go, the more progressive things get. Right. Um, the diversity is different here. You go to Northern Virginia, it's totally diverse. It looks like, you know, you could think you're in Jersey or New York or wherever. Okay. Okay. You come here, you know you're not in Jersey. Okay. There's some <laughs> diversity, but like, where am it's I? different. And you <laughs> can right. feel it. Like, I can even tell when I meet a white person who's not from here. That's how you just know. Right, you just know right. when a person didn't grow up in this foolishness. And, you know, and there's some great things about the South. There are. I mean, Southern people are nice and great. But when you bring up that race, that race word, everything yeah. out the door. whole nother ball game. You know, <laughs> but, but, you know, so for me, I think having moved around a lot and coming back here, it's a little bit difficult to deal with some of the attitudes. Right, right. Because right. we, we lived in Northern Virginia before here, and I had a preference for that because it was more diverse. Here, things a little bit more rural, you know. <laughs> right, just a little bit. <laughs> a little bit more Southern. Um, but they're, and they're really subtle with it. Uh, they're really subtle with it. So, but I see it all changing, you know. I mean, it's, you know, as time moves on, we're, we're, in that, we're in that time right now where everybody's fighting change. That's what's going on, right. fighting change. Yeah, moving, yeah. moving and flowing, yeah. So the, with everything that you do, right, mm-hmm. What do you do for you? Because you got a lot going on, girl. (laughs) Well, as of lately, not a whole lot. When I rest, I rest. In 2008, after mama died, I developed Graves' disease, hypothyroid. So I went through that. And then it became like Hashimoto's, like hypothyroid. So literally, (laughs) I kind of don't have to make myself rest because my body's just going to cook out when it's tired. I don't do a whole lot of late nighters anymore. I'm 49. I can't be doing that stuff. I used to, you know, that was how I 
pretty much survive like school and college. But I mean, you get older, you can't do that. Like eight but, o'clock, um, you're like, woo, it's almost bedtime. I'm a home, I'm more so a homebody. I was a homebody before the pandemic hit. So I'm in heaven in here, honestly. Everything I need is in this space. <laughs> we have one kid and I don't know what's going on, but he's like not a total somebody that has to be out there. But uh, we, we spend a lot of time when we can with family, just going to family stuff down here. My mom is here. My husband's parents are here. We have a slew of like cousins. And so every now and then we did a Juneteenth celebration at my house last year. Mm-hmm. We go on a few small trips. I'm not real big on traveling right now because I don't want to do any public transportation right now. Right, right. <laughs> I right. haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> but uh, yeah. but I like to honestly a little bit of TV. I, I watch a lot of reruns when I'm watching a lot of stuff okay. that I recorded. Writing, I listen to a lot of music when I'm writing. Uh, I like gospel. I like R and B. I listen to a lot of TED talks. Honestly, uh, TED has everything. Yeah, I listen- <laughs> I listen to, I love meeting people via TED Talks. And like I told you, I'm an empath, you know, and and I'm easily distracted, which is not good. Like, just say, let's just say if I found out somebody died who was great that I didn't know, then I have to go out there and find all of their talks, listen to them, (laughs) because I've got to, like, you know, know. same with a book. If I, if I run across a new poet, that I hear and I'm like, oh, I got to get that. So that's just kind of how I spend my time. But we like beach trips. We haven't done a beach trip this year. That's relaxing. I like to drink a good glass of wine. All right, as long as you take it care of yourself. That's well, all. That a shot matters. of liquor. If, if it calls for a shot of liquor, we take it. We take it home. But you know, I know how to relax. You know, I just I don't do a whole lot. So I'm gonna have to work my way back into work into the classroom. So it looks like I'm going to be teaching hybrid next okay, the fall. So, so that's going to okay. pull me back out, which is good. Yeah. But I don't do a lot. I just do a lot of downtime here. Writing is what I do. I'm always thinking about the next project I want to do. I really want to do some more historical poetry collections. I want to do a memoir or maybe some memoirs. I mean, Maya Angelou wrote seven different memoirs. Um, so right now I have a few nonfiction pieces that are published in other places. Like back in 2001, I had my first creative nonfiction piece published in a project that Tavis Smiley did. And it was called Keeping the Faith. And it was sort of a personal family story. And then after Mama passed, I wrote about her. That was published. And then when my other grandmother passed, I wrote about her. While living in Korea, I did a big spread for a newspaper on Martin Luther King and Abraham Lincoln. And then I did another one for women's history. So I'm thinking about compiling all of these things that I wrote in some way and putting them into a collection. I love it. After writing a 300 page dissertation, I feel like I can do anything now. I know that's right. I can do anything. (laughs) Congratulations on becoming a doctor. That is amazing. Well, you said your, all your books are Amazon or Barnes and Nobles, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. All right. Is there any, they're they're available in ebook format also. Okay. Um, Yeah. Is there any other way the listeners can get in touch with you or. Oh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm not very present on Instagram, but if you really want to reach me, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, I'm there. And I just had got a new folio account. 
bibliotech. It's like a new thing that academics are using. But li- honestly, you can just Google me. You'll find me. Uh, there, I have tons of poetry out there uh, that's been published in a lot of different places. Old poems, new poems. I wrote a poem called How to Bury Your Mother, which was a hard poem to write, but very necessary poem. And that's out there. That's online as well. Yeah. So there's a lot of different ones. I would say my most popular poems in terms of the internet are my Black history poems. Back when I did my first book, one of the favorite poems in that book was The Sounds of Blackness. And then uh, when I started my Black History trilogy collection, a favorite was uh, Riding the Bus with Rosa Parks. And then there's What is Black History? So it just depends, but you'll find probably any number of poems out there. Love it. I love it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. People are using my poems like everywhere for anything. Like some kids out in San Diego used it to do a whole Black History thing. There was a homeowners group in New Jersey or New York. Uh They did some sort of homeowners association celebration and they printed one of my poems out and gave it out to all the, the whole neighborhood. So, you know, when I find these things, I think it's awesome that my work is getting out there. Yes. And, you know, I always say when you can leave a legacy like that, then you've done something and you made an impact yeah. because while you're gone, those yeah. poems, your book, all those things are going to still be out there to educate people, you know, and make an impact in the world. Yeah. So that's a great thing. And I truly appreciate you for doing that. So and congratulations you. on your book. I know Thank you had a book you. come out. I mean, that's the thing about being a writer. Even when you're gone, your words live on. Exactly, exactly. Um, they still just can make forever an impact. and ever and ever. Exactly. Yeah, we're still reading Franz Fanon and all these other people. I mean, I teach Phyllis Wheatley and Frederick Douglass and, you know, those words live and they still resonate and they still have meaning. So exactly. is anybody out there who feels like they have it in them to write, sing, create, whatever, do it. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Thank you. It's been so good to see you. You Thank are you. welcome. Thank you so much for stopping into the podcast and educating us and just keep doing what you're doing because you're making a great impact in the community and worldwide and keep taking care of you. Thanks. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Purple Butterfly Podcast. And a special thank you to my guests. Join me weekly to continue the conversation about self-care, overall wellness, mental health, and so much more. If you're interested in learning more about self-care and overall wellness, be sure to check out InnerU Clinical Services, LLC, on both Instagram and Facebook, as well as my website, www.innerullc.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Danielle Turner. Until next time, remember, self-care is not selfish. It is necessary. Make yourself a priority and take care of you.